Welcome to the Community Podcast, brought to you by the Community Paper. Since 1989, the Community Paper has been sharing good news happening in downtown Orlando and College Park. Your hosts for the show are Orlando native and the paper's publisher, Debbie Gunter, and Orlando transplant and managing editor, Tommy Cardinal. Welcome to the Community Podcast. I'm Debbie Gunter, and we have a special episode for you today. Hi, I'm Nick Jorgudiu. I'm the producer here, and I'm one of the contributors to the Community Paper. And this was a really fun episode. We got to interview Joni Sherm, who I actually interviewed a million years ago, before time began, like 20-something years ago. And wow. to connect with her again in a completely different role. So I interviewed her as one, I think she was a trustee of the Orlando Regional Chamber at the time. Mm-hmm. And we were talking about transportation and a little bit about her role on the World Cup and bringing the World Cup here in 1994 uh, and her engineering firm. And now, uh, starting in 2008, she kind of had another career as an author and I had no idea. And so getting to talk to her today about that and the books that she's written, she just came out with her third book was pretty amazing. Yeah, it's good stuff. Yeah. So we're going to play it back for you. If you want to learn more about it, please go to uh, our website. And if you know of anybody you think should be interviewed by us on the community podcast, please let me know. Yes, yourcommunitypaper.com. You can fill out a submission. We'd love to hear from you. Enjoy. We're here today with Joni Sherm. I've known Joni for for quite a while. Interviewed you years ago for the for what the College Park paper um, before we were the community paper. And I have to be honest, that was one of the most just moving. I was so honored to get to come to your home and um, talk to you in person. Joni found some letter box of letters that her parents had hidden up on a shelf her whole childhood. And when they passed away, she and her siblings found the letters and it kind of just opened up this whole new world for you. You were working, um, you had your own engineering firm at the time. And um, you, at this point in your life, you, your life was already pretty incredible. Joni um, was part of the committee bringing, who brought World Cup soccer here in 1994 and um, had her own engineering firm that you weren't even an engineer. She got a job as a receptionist when her husband was in college and became the secretary and became the branch administrator. And fast forward, she opened her own company in 1991. So you've always been really involved in your, your local community and had this great life. And then she finds these letters and decides she's going to share the story with the world, really. So do you want to t- just tell our listeners a little bit about um, the first two books you wrote about your, your parents' experience during the Holocaust? Well, first, thank you so much. I'm so happy always to talk about this story because it really is kind of the last chapter of my life, and but it's really something I hope lives on for a long time. Um, I started uh, going through the letters in, in 2008 first, and most of them were in check. There were 400 by 78 writers, and so I first had to realize what they said by getting them all translated, and that happened over a period of time. And as they were coming in, I realized there was a lot to my father's life that I didn't know, uh, a lot of displacement that I did know about, but I didn't know the pain and the you know, the adventure and and also the accomplishments that were coming through all of these letters. So that was the first 
part of it. And then I started being drawn to some of the letter writers. So the first book that I wrote was about seven of the letter writers that I chose. They were either uh, cousins or they were people like my father. They were all in their 20s or early 30s. And um, a, uh, one was trapped behind and the other ones had fled somewhere in the world. So they were either in Great Britain, South America, in China, where my father had made it to or in the US eventually. So um, I went in search of these people and found that two were still alive and I went and saw them and gave them their letters and then found their descendants all over the world and they were kids like me so that we would hook up and meet in New Zealand and Canada and Great Britain. So that was an experience unlike any other. But all during that, I was getting to know my father more, and I was reading. I had 70 carbon copies of his own letters, and so I really did get to know the young dad, um, you know, pre-meeting my mother. He met my mother in China. She was born in China of American missionaries, and my father was Jewish, And but they got married in five weeks and had a great 60-year love, love affair. So I knew that part of the story, but I obviously didn't know what was going on in China when he was there, and he really poured his heart out to his friends and his family. And, um, and then we had uh, 44 letters that were uh, from my grandparents. Grandparent, we had 44 um, people lost in the Holocaust. Mm -hmm. And so I never got to meet those grandparents. And so through those letters, I really, really, you know, felt like I knew them and fell in love with them. And my father's uh, received a last letter in 1942, in April of 1942, when my grandfather and my grandmother got the notice in Prague that they were going to be taken away by the Nazis. And my grandfather had been in World War One, so he knew a lot about, you know, the horrors of war and everything. And I think he feared for himself, but not really my grandmother and wrote a letter to my father, which is uh, addressed to my dear boy. And, um, and he, he was, it was a goodbye letter, clearly. Mm -hmm. And he was asking my father to make sure he kept taking care of you know, his mom, ultimately, but he made a wish for my father that he not use his profession of curing as a doctor to just garner wealth, that it, but that he helped the suffering humanity. And as life would have mm. it, that was the first letter that I had translated out of all the 400 multi-page letters. And so that was how I met my grandfather. That was how I knew my father had lived his life in an extraordinarily compassionate way that I saw in many different ways. So I knew he had done that. And, wow. you know, so anyway, so that led the third book now. So the, so my dear boy, I chose to write in my father's words. And mm -hmm. um, so I was his ghostwriter. And he had written in one of his letters that he was going to write a book. So that's why I felt like, okay, I'm going to get that book written for you. And so, and I had seven hours of interviews with him. I had a lot of journals that he had, and I had all these letters, and I interviewed people all over the world and did research. And And so in the end, Potomac Books, you know, chose to publish that, which I was really happy with because they're a very serious publisher. And so what was happening while I was writing my dad's story, uh, there was so much that I was experienced. And so I would, on the side, kind of write what these experiences felt like me, like about meeting my grandparents and getting to know them and then suffering, you know, the loss of them, you know, really, because I was learning about what happened to people during the Holocaust and what had been their experience. And of course, that was very traumatic. So I would write about these things. And there were several occasions where things would happen that were unexplainable that, you know, and I can tell you about a few, I call them synchronicity. So I was writing all these things, and I put them aside. 
And then actually, my husband Roger said he used to call them, uh, get them off the floor and out the door. (laughs) So that was the name of this third book for a little while. And then I chose one of the letters um, they wrote about how important their steadfast ink was. And because they, you know, these letters are now 80 years, you know, at least uh, from the past, I thought that's true. They're steadfast ink. They've been preserved that way. So that was how I ended up with this third book. And it's more kind of each book, you know, the first one is kind of a search and a quest and history, and the next one is subjective, kind of my father's view of the world as it was unfolding. And it really has things as he knew it. So there were a lot of things you don't get to know of the future that impact how you make choices. So mm-hmm. you could understand, I could go through that and, and realize the things he must have felt, you know, yeah. and then later he knew the truth of what had happened. So. Anyway, they, each one of them is very different, and you know I've just loved the experience. It's been now twelve years of writing. Wow, twelve years! Twelve. Oh years. my goodness! I know. I tell it's, you, when I um, interviewed Joni and went to her home, and you showed me that letter. We showed me a lot of the letters, but even the one I saw of that your grandfather had written. I mean, just seeing it, I it brought me to tears. Yeah. It's incredible, and um, you show some of the letters in your book, and just to see their, you know their handwriting and it's incredible it's incredible I highly recommend reading Joni's books it just it brings this whole I don't know it brought the whole story something just made it more real for me I think seeing their letters like that yeah and your father's the pants he was wearing when he escaped Czechoslovakia and it's just it's just an incredible story and those pants are on display the Holocaust Center in Maitland right now which we're planning right now to come into College Park will be the Holocaust Museum for Hope and Humanity. Um, and we're working on the planning of that now. I'm on a, on a leadership council there. But but there's an exhibit there if anyone wants to go um, to the Holocaust Center and see. It's called Displaced Person in those pants that my father escaped in. They were in the, He was in the Czech Army when he escaped, and so he was wearing riding breeches. And anyway, we found those pants. Uh, he had told me the story on on. A recording, mm-hmm. but we didn't. He didn't tell us he kept the pants, and then we found the pants, and they have check words on them and everything. So anyway, wow. there's a lot to see at that exhibit, and there's audio that goes with it that's excellent that walks you through what had happened in his life. Oh, that's incredible. Well, thank you so much for tell for telling their story because it'd be so easy to just find that stuff and share it with your friends, but no, you thank really you. went all in. So thank you for doing that for thank us. You. It's, it's incredible. I love it. So for um, folks listening, you've written um, three books now, Adventures Against Their Will, My Dear Boy, and now your new one, Steadfast Inc. Do you, do you need to read the first two to, to kind of get Steadfast Inc.? Uh, no, really. I think uh, each one of them stands on their own. I mm-hmm. think it, it probably is uh, a richer read maybe if it, for Steadfast Inc. If you've read one of them, you're maybe a little bit more familiar. But I tried to write it thinking that some people would just want to read this book. Um, so I'm hoping it works. <laughs> Let me know what you think. Oh, absolutely. I would yeah, love that. Absolutely. Well, I started it uh, last night. And, you know, one of the things that I connected with immediately was this idea of being a child of an immigrant family. So I'm not even first generation American. I was born in Canada. My parents, my family left, uh, both sides of my family left Greece in 1948 for reasons to do with trying to rebuild after the war. It was very difficult, especially for Greece. And so they went to the first country who accepted them. They applied to Australia, they applied to the U.S., and they applied to Canada. And Canada said yes, and so that's where they went. 
Canada was very welcoming. Yeah, they absolutely. really were all during after World War II to absolutely. a lot of people. But one of the things that struck me was, you know, you're going in and you're reading about these stories and, and researching these stories and you're kind of taking what might be a legend within your family and finding out the reality of it. And there were a couple of those instances like uh, for me, what was that like for you in terms of like there was this very, you know, not necessarily a beautiful story, but it was this legendary story. And then you realize, oh, maybe it's. There's more to it. Yes. Um, we certainly knew that we, um, when we were young, my brother, sister, and I um, knew that our grandparents and our great-grandmother had, had been killed in the Holocaust. We didn't know until Schindler's List came out in 1993, which was the same year the U.S. Holocaust Museum opened in Washington. So not much was really known or out there before that. And that was when I asked my father if he wanted to go to see the movie with me, of which he said a very loud no. And then I saw the movie and realized later how that wasn't a good idea at all for that experience for him. But anyway, that was the first time he sat down and he typed a list of 42, 44 relatives. So there were 42 more mm -hmm. um, added to his list that had died in the Holocaust and what he knew about it, like where they were taken you know, away. He had it coded what year it was and, and all of that. Most everyone died at Auschwitz. My grandparents he thought died at Auschwitz, but they probably died um, at Sobibor, one of the three death camps that were built just total for, totally for extermination. And I learned that through research that the U.S. Holocaust Museum did for, for and with me, and they're wonderful. I mean, they did a lot, and a lot of places now will really help you find those things that you didn't know. But what I guess mostly what I learned, um, my father's, who he was, didn't change in terms of he was a man of curiosity, adventure, humor, and he was a great storyteller. His stories, though, never went really to that dark place. And that was, you know, a protection to him, you know, as well as us, I believe. And so as I learned, I really learned what he went through. And he, he had some of the, his letters where he really poured his heart out of the agony of what it felt like to be, you know, not appreciated, not, you know, to because they had experienced anti-Semitism in Bohemia where he grew up, but not to a big degree. It wasn't violent or and they would have periods of violence, but but not very much when he grew up. So um, but it was he, he I never heard him ever say he was treated as a second class citizen, but he says it in the letters. He felt that. So mm -hmm. there was a lot of things to read that I felt his pain along the way mm -hmm. that he had suffered that he really hid from us. But, you know, wow. it was a life well lived in the end. And then it was a life that was very compassionate. And my mother was the same way. So we observed that. So, you know, I, I could see where it came from then. Well, and one way that it shaped his life uh, was when he came to the South, when he came to Florida and started working was the segregation at the time that had happened in the 40s and I think in 50 uh, was when you all moved down. Yes. He felt very strongly about that for those reasons. Uh, why Why do we discriminate against people at all? Why, if, if I had been discriminated against or I hadn't been discriminated against, then, it, you know, his life would have been completely different. Yes. He was very, very outspoken. And in, in, um, what, what you're talking about, he worked at the Florida State Hospital, which mm -hmm. actually was the mental hospital. And that 
And if you look back in the records, I was the only person admitted by birth there in December of 1948. <laughs> Everybody else was, you know, had, had some issues and they wow. were sent there. But anyway, he, one of the things he, the story he used to tell was about how in the, in the he was a doctor in the hospital and he would see patients there and the, the um, receptionist there made all the black people wait to come in and they wouldn't be seen when they arrived like you normally would be. And my father objected to that, and so she quit. And then he went and talked to the head of the hospital, who was actually a very nice man and everything, but he said to him, you know, you're going to start a race riot if you do this kind of thing, and, you know, I can't have you doing that. So it was, you know, it was life as it was back then. Mm -hmm. And only shortly before then, within the last 10 years before we, we got there in 1948, um, there had been lynchings in that area. Hmm. And so imagine, you know, after what he had gone through and knew the end result for his family and everything, to hear that kind of thing must have been stunning. Wow. I wanted to talk a little bit, too, about documentation, right? Like, none of this would be possible without your father not only keeping the stuff, but actually writing it in the first place. And you mentioned he actually had copies of the letters that he wrote. Yes, 70, 70 well. copies, uh, carbon copies of his, which make this this collection, the U.S. Holocaust Museum described it as one of the largest personal collections they had seen, but it, they also said it was one of the most unique because here's 70 letters of my dad talking to people that are right. talking back to him. Makes it right. very interesting. It, most of the time, unless you go to the people who receive the letters and get those back. Exactly. Exactly. I think about the documentation that we do, of course, posting pictures to Facebook, uh, saying what we had to eat on Twitter, you know, that sort of thing. Um, and we're missing a little bit of that documentation of how did you feel today or what happened to you or those sorts of things in a, in a venue to just really write it out in a personal way. What what do you do to sort of document your own experiences? And then what would you recommend to people to do? Well, I recommend writing, writing, writing. Mm -hmm. and, and I think, you know, for two reasons. One, you get better if you practice just like with sports. But also because at that moment, how you feel, it's very important to write things down. And I think it can be about anything in your life. Um, take that opportunity to keep notes or whatever. And one of the things that um, I did, not thinking about this at all, but I've saved a lot of my mother's letters that she wrote me. So my next book is going to be all about my mother's, which is a totally different life and story and heritage and everything like that. But reading those letters, and I saved Kelly, my daughter, Kelly Lafferman, I saved her letters when she wrote me from, from FSU. And literally, I just found the file and Kelly and I are oh, going to meet and we're going to read through some of them. But so that sort of thing, save letters that other people write you, but you know, think about what you're writing at the time and maybe keep it in a separate thing. I think it really is, it's a way to capture history yeah and it's important writing letters is is unfortunately just kind of going by the wayside exactly you, it's coming back a little I bit it's gotten so. popular again there's a depth to to writing things down you know you read these letters from your father and his friends and there's such depth there that you don't get when you're just posting your feelings to Facebook, yeah. you know, exactly. I mean, and so it's it's a shame that it's sort of a lost art, but I hope it's coming back. One, I appreciate too the language barrier you sometimes face of so being Greek. I didn't necessarily learn the language as much as I probably could have. 
but knowing the swear words is very convenient. Yeah. <laughs> and I yeah. appreciate in the book uh, what your father, how your father responded via telegraph to the Communist Party that was asking for back taxes on property that was taken from his family. Exactly. Yeah, that was that an was, incredible story. That was Bec- really funny. Because my father, actually, there's indications in letters that I have. They, My mother and father intended to go back to China and set up a hospital, a charity hospital and a charity school, because my mom was a teacher. And then, and my father went back after the war with the United Nations. It's, it's to this day the largest relief act ever in the world. And he went back there to help rebuild hospitals. And then while he was there, the communists took control there. And so UNRWA was sent away. But um, So they couldn't go back there. And then letters indicate from an aunt that my father was thinking about going back with the family to and living in Czechoslovakia and working as a doctor. And then the communists took over there. So, uh, you know, he really... He, he chose American. He was an American citizen by then, and he loved this country. But, you know, you think about those thoughts that go through everybody's minds, where you're going to go in your life and your home home country means yeah. a lot to you. Sure. So what he so what had happened, what you're referring to is what a story he loved to tell was that um, at his family home that was in Benishoff, about 23 miles from Prague, uh, was taken over by the Communist Party and set up as a kind of a community house. And then... And he knew about it through cousins that had written him. But so then they sent him, they found him in Chattahoochee, Florida. You know, how, how they found him, I have no idea. But they found him and they sent him a bill for the back taxes that he owed. Oh, my and gosh. so <laughs> when he got this, he mar- his story was he marched down to the Western Union. There used to be Western Union telegram places. And he told the clerk, who certainly didn't know how to speak Czech, and he wrote down what he wanted and he put in it, Prolib me Pradel. And it basically means kiss my and Fanny. And so anyway, <laughs> she had no idea what she sent off to the And I he used it. to just love that story to tell it. Oh, international incident one. from Chattahoochee, yes, Florida. Yeah, exactly. Very nice. Little known story. That's a great one. Yeah. One of the things I'm proud of is putting the books in high schools and um, Adventures Against Our Will when it came out. Um, Harvey Massey and the Massey organization bought 200 books so that they could be placed in the libraries of schools and also the public libraries here. And one of the programs that I've really enjoyed working with, there's a teacher named Nilam Patel that's at Dr. Phillips High School. And she's an English teacher. Now she runs their Center for International Studies. But she started using Adventures Against Her Will. And I would come in and kind of talk to the kids about the research and what was, you know, went on on that and a little bit on the story. And then she would have them work all year long on a project where they would choose with the parents' uh, approval that they could look into to family background issue if they were interested. And so these kids would interview at Thanksgiving, you know, their grandfather, or they would, you know, talk long distance or text, whatever they were doing. And all year long, they would gather and then they would prepare presentations, very sophisticated into today's world with kids because they, and she would have me come back in and I'd see them and they oh, were unbelievable. I mean, every, there were displacement stories and, you know, for so many of these kids in their background. So what you saw were these kids that didn't know anything about each other suddenly being bonded through these exper- mm-hmm. you know, stories and everything. And I thought it was a really good exercise for what this was about, just for you to learn. We all come from different places. We all have these stories. And these kids, they learned it in a very personal way. And it'll stay with them. That's really neat. I think that's one thing I take away from getting to know you and reading your books is that, I mean, I know so many stories about my grandparents and my my parents, but I don't know that I've 
really told my kids everything mm-hmm. and I need to write it down. I need to share their stories because they're super interesting and just fascinating about our family and they'll just go, they'll just be gone yeah. if you don't, if you, you don't know? share it. And I know my kids and grandkids really love it. They really do. They just always say, when are you getting done with the book? You know, that's a, I say one's coming. So you're, so next on your, um, on your goal list is to write a book about your mother. Yes. Anything else? Uh, well, I want to get the World Cup story done somehow, um, in some way, just because, you know, in 2026, uh, around the corner and with the city may, may know this year, maybe, whether we get to pay. And so it would be fun to tell the stories because there's tons of funny stories that go with the World Cup and crazy things and all. It would be just the fun side of it. Whenever yeah. the World Cup comes, it'll be a party. So, Yes, I hope Very it comes nice. here. Yeah, That'd it'll be, be so fun awesome. if it does. Uh, and as far as all three books go, you can get them on Amazon. Uh, you can get them pretty much online and any yeah, format anywhere as books. Well, if right? you just type in my name and author or whatever, but you can go to Amazon, but you can go to bookstores and ask for them to order it. Any, Good. you know. So it's um, yeah. Please read the book and let me know. I, I love hearing from readers. I really I adore that because it's just there's so many stories that people want to tell you back, and they're fascinating. And there's a lot of connections that have turned up that are so amazing where people from elsewhere in the world i'm on uh, a site called genie.com g-e-n-i there it's like an you know a ancestry.com site but um a lot of people will i just got one from some man in holland that his father had a letter exchange with someone a grandfather that i mean uh, yeah his grandfather um had it and it was name very similar to my grandfather's name it turned out there wasn't a connection when he was describing it but out of the blue and he's in holland so you know these things happen yeah that's neat well if you um want to see the some of the letters the the pants that your father was wearing um go check them out at the holocaust tell me the official name of the holocaust museum and the holocaust memorial resource and education center of florida i think but i think if you just google holocaust center maitland florida it'll the right website will come up and then all of that will come down to the holocaust museum for hope and humanity exactly we hope super excited about that 2024 2025 something like that there'll be a beautiful building that everybody will in orlando will be very proud of it at our ivanhoe gate as we call it yeah the gate to orlando so and you're a big part of that too you just you just never stopped (laughs) (laughs) it's just it's fun it's fun stuff to be involved in the community and you know that you all know that because you see it in all your writings and you can see you're the good news people for me yeah really well and it's bringing stories like yours you know to our readers we we just love it because there's not enough of that going around so yeah thanks for taking the time to come chat with us and we're super excited to share your new book steadfast inc be sure to pick it up and adventures against their will and my dear boy by Joni sherm um you will not be disappointed thank Thank you you so much. much thanks thanks Thank you for listening to the Community Podcast. Did you like what you heard? Subscribe wherever you get your podcast, and tell your friends and family to do the same. Stay up to date on the latest news from the Community Paper by visiting yourcommunitypaper.com and follow them on social media. The show is produced by Nick Jorgudio. Learn more about starting your own podcast by visiting orlandopodcasting.com.